Well, good morning, church. It's good to be here. Doesn't the church look beautiful? I just, uh, I just think it's so amazing. You know, we have so much talent in this church. And to Sharon and David and all your little help, elves that have helped, I just want to thank you so much for, uh, yes. Yeah, let's give them a big round of applause. I just think, you know, again, it's one of those things that we can take for granted, right? Because we come and it's beautiful and we say, oh, how nice. But we don't realize how much work has been put in behind the scenes. So thank you so very, very much. Um, I don't know if this was the same for you. But uh, when I was in college, I was at Mercy College in Dobbs Ferry, New York, there was a rule, and the rule was that if the professor was more than 15 minutes late, it was considered a walk. That means that you could just leave the class. You you were not going to be marked absent because it was the professor's fault. Anybody experience that in college, you know? Anybody take advantage of that in college? So in our, in our history, world history class, uh, we had a mechanical clock, which every second it would just kind of go tick, you know, tick, 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 like that. And somehow somebody realized that if you kind of hit the clock, it, it would go faster. <laughs> it would like jump a minute, right? So <laughs> I, I was only part as an associate, I was not the one who invented this concept, you know. Uh, but, but our history professor was known to be a little late, not very punctual. And we would uh, take the erasers and aim them at the clock, you know, and see who could hit the clock so the clock would go faster, you know. And, and sure enough, we could get that 15 minutes down to like, I think we did it once in eight minutes, you know. Pfft. And, and he would come in and be like, what's, and he'd look at his clock, and we would all be leaving, thank you, sorry, you know, we got to go. And he was, he was always, like, really, really kind of confused about it all. Um, and one day, we went in, and it was the final exam. <laughs> Some of you guys are way ahead of me on this. Eh? And so the, pe- the professor passed out the test. The test was on the history of Western civilization justice system. And he told us all that, look, you know, you have one hour to finish the test. And uh, he said, okay, start. And so we all began to try to answer these questions. But history of the Western civilization justice system. And, and then all of a sudden we were distracted. As we watched the professor proceed to collect all the erasers in the room <laughs> and start taking aim at the clock. And we were like, no way, you can't do this. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we heard, all right, time's up. And it was like he did it in like 20 minutes. And we all looked at him and he goes, justice. <laughs> Not many of us passed the test that day, but we all learned a very important lesson. He had the most gleeful look on his face, you know. It was like, you guys thought you had me, didn't you? I think all of us have suffered injustice one way or another. And some injustices are kind of benign, aren't they? You know, I don't know how many of you have experienced this. You're going through, I know most of you don't do this, but you know, uh, I have uh, gone through the drive-thru, you know, and add something I ordered, you know, and then 
all of a sudden I'm driving away. And the reason why I would go through the drive-thru is because I don't have time. You know, it's because this is fast food, right? That's what I'm supposed to be. And so I, I'm driving away now, and I, and, I, and I find my food, but the French fries are not there. Have you experienced this? And you're like, do I go back? Do I not? You know, I've just been cheated of this French fries. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe you ordered a large, and it's a medium. And you're like, man, you know, and, but I rarely ever go back just because I feel like, well, I don't have the time, you know. But I feel like I've been unjustly dealt with, you know. <laughs> Uh, or how many times have you been to the store, you ladies, you know this, you'll go there and you'll be like, wow, soup is on sale. You know, it says four for $5. And so you start getting like 10 of these things. You put them in the basket. You go there and you find out that, no, no, they're actually, you know, two and 50 cents each. And you're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. The, the sign said, and how many times have you taken them back to the sign, right? Because you felt like you were unjustly dealt with right there you know sometimes you win sometimes you don't you know or sometimes you order tablecloths and they're too small (laughs) they're supposed to be a certain size and they're not we've experienced that I was the middle child in my family let me explain to you child I was the middle child of five kids so I had my oldest brother his name was Claudio then my older brother his name was Sal then there was me then I had a sister her name was Roseanne and then my brother Luciano as you could tell, we're a very strong Jewish family. And, <laughs> and, and I always would experience injustice in the car with my dad. Because if it was me and my oldest brother, he would get the front seat. Because he's the, he's the oldest, right, exactly. And if it was me and Sal, well, he would get the front seat because he was the older brother. And if it was me and my sister Roseanne, she would get the front seat because she was the girl, and if it was me and my brother Lou, he would get the front seat because he was the baby of the family. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, when do I get the front seat, right? Never. I've experienced this kind of injustice. Now, that is totally benign stuff. I mean, we get upset about it, we get angry, and it's injustice. But some of us have experienced some deeper injustice, more significant and more hurtful. Maybe we don't get the recognition that we deserve at work, perhaps because of your gender or the wrong color. I'll never forget Nancy, hearing Nancy the first time telling this story. I, I didn't know that this had happened because I had my ba- eyes bowed and I was on my knees and I was, it was the day of my ordination. And uh, it was an exciting, awesome day. And I remember uh, being asked to kneel and I knelt down. And my wife knelt with me. What I did not know is that as they were praying this prayer of ordination, some man behind Nancy lifted her by the elbows to stand up as if somehow some magical ordination was going to land on her, you know, and God forbid. And I'll never forget hearing Nancy talk about how much that hurt her and the tears. Now, the whole time I thought she was crying because she was so happy for me, <laughs> but she was actually crying because she had experienced a great injustice to her. Some of us have been wrongfully accused of something. And we have suffered years. I'm always amazed at people that spend 20, 30 years in jail and then later they find out they were... Can you imagine that? I mean, that's an injustice, isn't it? Some, maybe, some of you try to have children and you've never had children. And you never complained about it, but deep down inside you feel like something is not right. Something is wrong. Why can't I be just like everybody else? 
Perhaps some of you have been the victim of a terrible abuse. Some of you right now may be going through that. And nobody knows. Maybe it's physical abuse or maybe even emotional abuse. And the perpetrator lives a guilt-free life. And nobody knows. Maybe the person is even admired by the community while you suffer in silence. I've met people like this, and that's a great injustice. Don't you believe so? How many of you remember where you were on September 11? 9-11, you know what I'm talking about, right? I remember driving, I was, going, I was on my way to the conference office, and I stopped at this gas station to get some gas and something to drink, and as I walked in, they were all just kind of acting weird, and I'm like, what's the matter? They're like, haven't you heard, you know, what just happened in New York City? And I said, no, I mean, you know, I've got family in New York, and I'm thinking, what just happened? And they, they said, well, a plane just crashed into, I'm like, what are you kidding me? And I remember getting back into my car and, and putting on the radio and, and, and hearing about the second plane and the terrorism and the World Tra- Trade Center and, and the Pentagon. Then, oh, then all of a sudden, the plane that, that, that crashes in, 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 Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania, and I'm thinking, and this is where I was living at the time, and I'm thinking, what is going on here? And there was this anger deep down inside when the news broke. I was in my car in total anger. I mean, I, I had to pull over because I thought I would get into an accident. I remember feeling this intense just injustice that how could somebody do something like this? Do you remember that feeling deep down inside? Like, how could this, this is my house. This is my country. How could they be doing this to us? In my anger, I just wanted justice. And for me, I will tell you what that meant was catching those responsible and making sure that they got what they deserved. You know what I'm talking about. And we often think of justice as making sure that people get what they deserve. How does God feel about injustice? I mean, does he care at all when he sees all these things happen? Have you ever, and, and you don't have to answer this out loud. You can, I, I pretty much know this answer. But haven't you ever gotten mad at God and said, you know, how, how do you make, why do you allow this? Like how many of you have experienced this feeling deep down inside and you've said, you know, I can't wait to get to heaven to ask God about this. Have you ever experienced that? You know what I'm talking about? And some of you are slowly doing this, you know, because we don't want to admit that there's a moments that we feel like maybe we're faithless. Or, but you know what? What it is is, is a response to injustice. So how does God look at injustice? So I want to look at some verses here in the Bible that help us to understand how God sees, how he perceives injustice. And uh, I love this, by the way. In Zechariah, he says these words, He who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Do you believe that God considers you like the apple of his eye? That God says, you know, 
just trust me. I think we've all read those verses that says, you know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, right? And we, 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 don't, we don't fully understand the timing, and next week we're going to talk about timing through the eyes of God. We don't fully understand the timing, but to get to the point where we can have the faith to trust him, to have the justice that he needs because he considers me, he considers you as the apple of his eye. How awesome is that? I love that about God. I love this one too. Oh Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror. I remember going through some of these verses with my students uh, just a day or two after this had happened and saying, look, the Bible promises us that one day terrorism will be gone. There will be no more terror. When we talk of justice, I mean, obviously accountability for wrongdoing has to be an essential ingredient. Don't you agree? This type of justice is protective justice. And we need this type of justice. It keeps order in a chaotic world. It's crucial to social security and stability. Violation of human rights, wrongful imprisonment, racial profiling, political corruption, economical unfairness, and on and on it goes. But, but here's the thing. Justice has to be more than just getting what you deserve. Don't you agree? Is it possible that sometimes it can mean to also give people what they may not deserve. See, I think God treats us with justice when he justifies us. Because I don't deserve that. I don't deserve that mercy. I don't deserve to be justified. What I deserve is to die. But I love that God, in his wonderful, absolute, amazing, eternal mercy, has said, Sergio, I'm going to treat you with mercy, and I'm going to justify you, and then I'm going to spend time sanctifying you. Wow. Totally undeserved. That's why justice must always be mixed with wisdom when we dish it out. We need to get to the point where sometimes we give the benefit of the doubt, that we give trust, that we give of ourselves. There's this great story about uh, Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia, nice Italian guy, by the way. You guys notice that I have a lot of history about Italian guys? I don't know why that is, but this guy was actually pretty amazing he was a, mayor, a Republican mayor in New York City from 1934 to 1945. And there's a story about him that is so cool. Uh, during the worst days of the Great Depression, uh, he, was, uh, he was known as a very colorful character, always very kind of joyous, and, and he would ride the New York City fire trucks and, and throw out candies to the kids, you know. Uh, he would take entire orphanages to baseball games and pay for them all. That's the kind of mayor this guy was. And there was uh, one bitterly cold night in January of 1935. The mayor turned up at the city court, and he dismissed 
the judge and said, I'm going to take over for now. Back in those days, I guess you could do that. (laughs) Within a few minutes, the story goes that a tattered old woman was brought before him because she was caught stealing bread. She went on to talk about how her daughter's husband had deserted her and the daughter was sick and the grandchildren had no food and she just couldn't let them starve and so she stole this bread and just as she was telling this story everybody in the court could tell that LaGuardia was getting kind of emotional but at that point the shopkeeper speaks up and he says you know I refuse to drop the charges and we've got to make a statement here I mean this is a terrible part of the city it's a bad neighborhood your honor we all know that She's got to be punished to teach other people that this cannot happen. And the woman is trembling and she's crying. And Mary LaGuardia says, you know what? You're absolutely right. Turns to the lady lady says, I've got to punish you. That's what the law says and that's what we're going to do. So this is 1935. He says, either $10 or 10 days in jail. You choose. And before she could say anything, he reaches in his pocket And he takes out a $10 bill, and he pays the fine. And then he says, furthermore, I'm going to fine everybody in this courtroom 50 cents. Everyone, police officers, the shopkeeper, everybody, 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that the grandchildren don't die. And he said, bailiff, please collect the money. And they collected the money. The next day, the newspaper read like this. $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. 50 cents of that amount being contributed by the red-faced grocery store owner. While some 70 petty criminals, people with traffic violations, and New York City policemen, each of whom had just paid 50 cents for the privilege of doing so, and they all gave the mayor a standing ovation. See, I think that's what God means when he says justice and mercy, don't you? I love that. I think we need to be more like that. I think we're losing that characteristic. And I see it everywhere. There's something Paul says, I have demonstrated to you how necessary it is to work on behalf of the weak and not exploit them. I love, the, I love this one too. It says, the Lord says, who says this? The Lord. the Lord says, do what is right and fair and good and take the one who has been robbed. And I had this one kid. Until this day, we're like, Speak up for the people who have no voice, for the rights of all who homeless people. You know, I think it's fantastic. But so that because he can trust us to give more out to the community. Wouldn't it be awesome if more and more and more every day people in the trice humans sometimes do what humans should not do, and we call that inhumane. Isn't that true? And what we mean by that, we somehow know that. How do we rise above that? We are human. We're doing what humans do. All we can do is be human. Isn't that true? 
We should not be bothered by injustice. We should not be bothered by war or cruelty or poverty. That's just what it looks like to be human. But deep down inside, we know. We know that jealousy and violence and unfair treatment is wrong. How do we know that? How on earth do we know? How can we imagine a world we've never known? How can we imagine a world without that kind of hatred? How can we imagine a world without that kind of injustice? How can we imagine a world that, with hope and peace and love and justice and equity? How can we do that? We can only do that because God has done something to us. The Bible says that God has put eternity into the hearts of men. We can only do that from the inside out. Human ideals are the phantom pain of the soul. Are you following me? You know what phantom pain is, right? Somebody gets their arm cut off, but they still feel the hand. They don't know what it is. Human ideals, this idea of peace and hope and justice, these are the phantom pain of our soul. Deep in the corridors of our soul, we know our inner being remembers what it was like before the garden. Because God has put that in our soul. I remember, uh, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up right now as I finish here. I remember uh, I was nine and a half, ten years old, coming on this ocean liner to the United States. And I overheard this conversation. I never understood it until way later that these two guys were talking, and this guy was saying, man, I guess, I guess one of the guys was one of the workers. I, I didn't even remember. I don't know. But one of the guys was saying, look, uh, can I come and see the engine room? And the other guy was like, no, nah, he don't want to see the engine room. And apparently there's a saying. It's like when you're in an ocean liner, you don't want to see the engine room. It's apparently what you would notice is all kinds of oil leaks, you know, rags holding things together. Twine, you know, putting things there. I remember when we were on a mission trip to Panama. Uh, we were in charge of a bunch of students, and, and we had this bus that had broken down. And uh, the, the, we couldn't find a mechanic to fix this thing. And then this guy shows up. And, uh, and everybody's like, oh, that's, that's McGiver. McGiver. I'm like, McGiver? Oh, MacGyver. Oh, I get it. That's that's how he was known, because he could find ways to fix things that nobody else could. And he got under that bus, and he started putting things where there was leaks, and, and started tying things together. And we, we looked under that bus, and we were like, oh, my goodness, you know. And the big thing was, don't let anybody, don't let the students know what's causing this bus to run. <laughs> because it's just crazy. And we would be in the bus going, wow, I can't believe this thing's still going. See, when we get too close to the center of things, it can be very alarming. It's, it's uncomfortable. You really don't want to know. You don't need to know how things work or fail to work. Isn't that true? Let's just, let, just let it happen. Just let, let's just, whatever happens, happens. See, I believe that during this season, we're invited into the stable to see the child. And this invitation, it's really like being invited into the engine room. 
I mean, think about this, this, this baby, this, this fragile baby who is the king of the universe. And you're sitting there going, is this really going to work? I mean, how do you know he's not going to get hurt and fall and, and die before he completes his... Really, God? Like, is this the best? I mean, like, really, this is the engine room? I think during Christmas, we need to recognize that we are being invited into that engine room. This is how God is. The entire system of the universe is contained in this small bundle of shivering flesh. The first Christmas story is littered with examples of injustice. I mean, you have a country that is under cruel and violent military occupation. You have a desperate family that refuses, that's being refused accommodation and she's pregnant. They have to be in some barn, for goodness sake. There's the murder of innocent boys committed by some insecure ruler. A family forced to flee as refugees to another country. Over and over and over again, there's just injustice after injustice after injustice. And the king of all creation is reduced to this helpless babe, misunderstood in his ministry, is falsely accused of heresy. The king of the universe, unjustly tortured and hanging on a tree. And while we sing joy to the world, and as we give gifts, and as we spend time with family, that's all fantastic and good. But do not miss this point. That what God wants to give us is a special infusion of his mercy, of his grace, of his view of injustice, so that we would stop the madness. And maybe God is waiting for some of us to rise and stop that madness. The Christmas story is about God breaking into creation and bringing justice. So this Christmas season, I invite you into the engine room. Are you willing to see it for what it is? Are you willing to bring justice to the weak, comfort to the lonely and lost, healing to the beaten, and friendship to the marginalized? Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone? I invite you to pay attention to that phantom pain in your soul from the inside out to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's my invitation to you this Christmas season. Who's with me?